Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin, inside of TCO Performance Center. Once again, where it is nice and cool and air-conditioned, that will not be the case out in the practice field when we go out there shortly. Courtney, how are you? I'm good. Maybe I can get some of this conditioning that Mike Zimmer was talking about benefiting from the heat and humidity in practice on Monday. He said that the team's not in the shape that it needs to be in. And apparently they're going to – I wonder, does that mean are they going to be running gassers at practice today? I don't know what he's alluding to, but apparently they're going to be focus on, focusing on their conditioning at practice. So maybe we should focus on ours too. This is much more traditional camp Zim yeah. than what we saw with him becoming the leader of the vaccination movement. Um, this calling out linebackers saying that they all need to step up outside of Nick Vigil – saying that we need to be in better shape, saying you can't wait to hit somebody else. Yeah. Like th- these are the camp things that we expect. Yeah. We don't expect indictments and things like that. We expect just, you know, Zimmer saying, come on, linebackers, learn how to play some football out there. I know. And uh, it should be, we're at that weird point now, because usually there's already been a preseason game played with the way that the schedule is now. It's down to three. Um or at least it always feels like there's one earlier in August than it would usually be like right now instead of the 14th or whatever the day the Broncos are playing the Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium next Saturday. But it's kind of that I do honestly feel it this year, the need to hit somebody else. Like we're kind of at that point right now. I don't know if we we didn't feel it at all last year because they had three-ish weeks of ramp-up period. And they were in pads within like two days of of practice starting, at least when we were out there as a full squad. So it definitely feels like it. You have a lot more of the dog days of training camp this year than you did last year. And it's kind of a welcome thing but it's also like these are the days where it drags Monday August 9th out there at practice 2 to 4 p.m. hope I don't pass out because of the heat like this is one of those days where it just feels like okay we are at the absolute peak of dog days of training camp we also can't really see much movement from anyone until they play games. Yeah, I'm at the point now where people ask me about, well, what about this position battle? What about this one? It's like certain ones, like Ole Udo to me is the starting right guard, right? Like Christian Darisaw is not going to be playing week one at left tackle. It'll be Rashad Hill. Certain things like that you can project. But I will say like with other position battles, it's like we need to see them actually like put pads on for real, like I know it sounds kind of cliche, but put pads on and go do something in a preseason game to determine kind of what the what the potential 53 is, at least for me with the cuts coming up on the 17th of set first round, like to be able to be like, who's your lock for the 53, who's a bubble, who's a cut, like that comes after the first preseason game, which will be fun when next week at this time you and I are breaking down what happened in, again in the Denver game. Right. That's what we need to see with so many things like the wide receivers getting out there. We can only see so much in practice. Like we kind of know that KJ Osborne has emerged. We know that Amir Smith, Smith Barset is doing well in uh, the offensive portion, but not so much the special teams portion, which Mike Zimmer just slammed the heck out of Amir Smith Marset's poor special teams. Yeah. Was not expecting that considering how much special teams he played at Iowa, but yeah, that was, uh, that was that was alarming. But isn't that the great part of Zimmer and rookies in training camp? Yeah. Is he just like you haven't done anything, so I'm just gonna out you in front of the entire world. And if you decide you don't like it, then then have a meltdown week two and get yourself cut the following day. 
Wait, who did that? Daniel Carlson. Oh, Daniel Carlson. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, also. That was technically training camp preseason time where he got. uh, Right, kind of called out by. Called out um, by Zimmer on that Friday night game against Seattle. That's right. That's right. When he missed, what was it, an extra point or something? So then he went for two. Went for two. The next time. Yeah. Zimmer versus the rookies in training camp. We've already called out almost everyone. I mean, he didn't slam Wyatt Davis, but sort of talked about how difficult it is to transition to the NFL, which I thought was sort of a message of guys. This probably isn't happening this mm-hmm. year with Wyatt Davis. I'm, I'm still holding out for the potential that Wyatt Davis takes some big leaps here in the next few weeks. But I had said, I think like, oh, I still have Wyatt Davis cause he's the most talented at right guard. Then the next day Zimmer says, mm-hmm. well, you see, it's really difficult for these rookie offensive linemen. Like, Oh no, I guess I'm wrong about that. So anyway, well, I have a game for you today. Because the last number of podcasts, rightfully so, uh, have been, let's just say heavy. It's just been, it's been heavy conversation and I can't go this many days in a row talking about vaccines. So here is what I have for you. We've played this game before on the show called talk me into. So I will ask you to talk me into a particular topic. You will ask me and we'll go back and forth. Okay. I like this idea. And uh, anyone who heard the last episode that we did with Eric Eager, I'm going to use the same last question, which I think is the best. And I hope you don't steal it before we get there. So let me start. Let me start here though. Talk me into it being okay if Chad Beebe is the wide receiver three week one and not D.D. Westbrook because he still hasn't even practiced with the offense. Talk me into that not being a problem. Here's my reasoning for it. It's A, because what we've seen from K.J. Osborne in training camp so far has happened in very limited contact. He's playing against his own team. Let's see him actually translate that to a preseason game. I'd be okay with Chad Beebe as your wide receiver three on the condition that D.D. Westbrook is coming back sooner rather than later. And by soon, I mean first quarter of the season. Like, they went out and signed him because he was the best slot available in free agency in spite of the fact that he had that ACL tear. So you probably knew that it was going to take a little bit of time when you signed him and that you'd be okay getting by with Chad Beebe for the first three, maybe four games of the season. So as long as Chad Beebe can do this on a limited basis and you're using him on some third down packages, maybe you're not even using that much 11 personnel, right? Like they didn't, they don't use a whole ton of it anyways. And honestly, they run more out of it than they pass. So um, you can get by. Get by is the key word there. I'm not going to sell you that he's going to be your permanent wide receiver three because that should be Westbrook when he comes back. But if if all things go well in training camp, which means that you have a BB and Osborne and a Smith Marset to fill out your depth, and you're going to be relying on those last two I mentioned for special teams, and you're not making Chad BB field punts or potentially get himself injured, you'll be okay with him for maximum of four games as wide receiver three okay I'm fairly convinced because we have seen the offense operate just fine with Chad Beebe mm-hmm. as wide receiver three on the condition that Justin Jefferson is 100 percent and dominating and Adam Thielen is 100 percent and dominating and the other day of practice neither one of them were on the field and we got a little window into what the world looks like if those two players are not out there offense it's looks like, a lot different yeah spoiler like as in can't operate almost at all <laughs> Uh, and so this is always what the concern would be. And that's where my one, like I'm not totally talked into it by you is 
if Jefferson isn't 100% for week one and you have to lean on Chad Beebe at all, and I know that the team is coming out and saying, he's good, it's no big deal, mm-hmm. whatever, and that's one of those believe-it-when-I-see-it things because we just can't use the information they give us on player injuries. No matter how many times Mike Zimmer snarks about the tweak thing, that happened. And so their history recently in telling us about injuries is just not very good. So if Justin Jefferson is not 100% all Justin Jefferson week one, and you don't have D.D. Westbrook, and Chad Beebe has to take any extended role, I'm not talked into it. If he's playing like 11 snaps... Okay, fine. He can get open enough, and, and that could play. that could be enough for wide receiver three. Like that should be enough for wide receiver three. But you know, to, to your point on Jefferson Zimmer, I was honestly kind of surprised when Zimmer said he should be back pretty soon. Now, taking that at face value, pretty soon could mean a day. It could mean two weeks. I think if you're the Vikings. And yeah, it's difficult when you have a Justin Jefferson, like who Adam Thielen says, probably never missed practice before and probably isn't doing well with being told he has to sit out and heal from separating his shoulder the other day. But then again, why do you need to see him in training camp? You don't. Like, I don't want to see Justin Jefferson in any preseason games. If I'm the Vikings, I want to put him in, in bubble wrap or plexiglass and keep him safe for a couple weeks just until they get to the the time where it's necessary to unleash the thoroughbred. So I was kind of making my Chad Beebe point on the premise that Jefferson and Thielen are good to go and at full health week one. You know, we don't really know what's going on with Adam Thielen right now. He didn't practice on Saturday. It looked like he kind of got dinged up on Friday. Um Towards the end of practice, I felt like it was kind of like one of those practices that everybody was probably begging to end because, you know, Cam Smith's dealing with a heat injury, Justin Jefferson goes down, Thielen looks like he got shaken up a little bit, and it's like, we can't lose these guys right now, so maybe they're slow playing it. I think that's a smart thing to do. I would not rush Justin Jefferson back, but circling back to Chad Beebe, he goes as far as, not even like as far as, like, but those two have to be at a certain level for him to have any chance to be effective as a wide receiver three. Okay. Mildly convinced. Uh, What would you like me to talk you into? Talk me into DJ Wanham starting. I mean, I actually probably don't even need to be talked into this, but I'd like to hear your argument. DJ Wanham starting and Stephen Weatherly either being cut or not having uh, much of a role at all. Okay. Uh, And I'll just always say how I – think first and what I think, and then I'll try to talk you into it anyway. I mean, I think that it's just going to be like a rotation for those two. They're going to sort of mix and match with Weatherly and Wanham. That's my guess. But if I'm talking you into Wanham over Weatherly, it would be they're basically the same guy. And the younger guy has the potential with more plays and more snaps to get better as he goes along, whereas Stephen Weatherly just is what he is. So if they feel like anybody behind Stephen Weatherly is pushing at all, or even if they feel like there's somebody who was cut by another team or there's somebody who's still hanging around on free agency at the last minute who they want to bring in, Stephen Weatherly had zero sacks last year as a starter. And I haven't seen anything to suggest that he's different than he was when he was here before that would say, oh my gosh, he's so much better. Like Stephen Weatherly is what he is. And when he was here before... He was a valuable seventh round pick who you paid almost nothing and would pop in and out every once in a while and rush the passer situationally who would move over the guard and so forth. You might not really need that Mm -hmm. this year 
because you have Sheldon Richardson is going to be your pass rush specialist. Maybe Weatherly mixes in there, but if I'm choosing between two guys that are very close, it would have to be DJ Wanham uh, as the guy who plays more. And, and I just would like to see more of him. And then if you're talking about like who's behind, if anybody were to push Stephen Weatherly from behind him, then I'm choosing those younger players over Stephen Weatherly because you already know what you have. That's the best I can do there. I th- I think that Andre Patterson just loves Stephen Weatherly though. Yeah, no, I, I do think he is loyal to to that fact where he's you know brought back guys before who he liked when he initially had them, and now he's got them again, and he feels like he can coach out the bad things, the technique that maybe needs refining, bad habits potentially that he picked up when he was in his, you know, stint in Carolina. But I um I guess I'm I am talked into that, but I also tend to feel like, and maybe I'm crazy here, I feel like DJ Wanham could be the starter over a Steven Weatherly. And yeah, a rotation of course. Like they always rotate potentially on th- on third down, other passing situ obvious passing situations, different packages, what have you. I think DJ Wanham could very well because of what we've seen his role become, especially on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Like and I know it was one play, but you're watching what happens when he drops into coverage. Like it's not just like this gimmick thing that it's like a training camp only look that we're seeing like it's something that you could potentially see utilized at some point this season more than at some point like regularly this season I think he gives you more than what Stephen Weatherly does in that pass coverage outside linebacker ish still edge rusher position Mm -hmm. so I think that he honestly brings more to the table that's why I'd argue that he could start over Weatherly but a rotation, I can be talked into into a rotation between those two. Janarius Robinson and Patrick Jones have not really done enough for me in training camp so far, and, and I and I get it. Like, I mean, Mike Zimmer talked about um, the traits that he likes from them, the athleticism, but that a lot is being thrown at them yet. So I don't know. They're not certainly polished yet. I think they're still kind of swimming. Is that the word we use when we talk about rookies having mm-hmm. to consume a lot of a playbook and not fully being up to speed yet? But they haven't done anything to suggest that they would be pushing either of them in that competition. So to me, it comes down to Wanham and it comes down to Weatherly, and I give well, I give Wanham the edge. Uh, just to statistically back this a little bit, last year Weatherly was 109th in pass rush win rate by PFF. Mm-hmm. DJ Wanham was 101st. And uh, Jalen Holmes was not far from Stephen Weatherly. Like Jalen Holmes, who is... Now playing inside. Now playing inside, right. So DJ Wanham was already better last year as a rookie with no support from the rest of the defensive line than Weatherly was last year. And, and whether he started it, for a while yeah, he's in Carolina right. he before he got hurt. Carolina and had zero sacks mm-hmm. and had a 54 PFF pass rush grade, which is just not good at all. So, um, like, think about this. He had a 7% win rate, uh, and the top guys in the NFL are like, well, hold on. I mean, just like 20%? I sure. mean, yeah. TJ Watt was 23%, and Stephen Weatherly was 7 and is like 107th out of 123 or something. I mean, like one of the legitimately worst pass rushers in the league last year. So if that's what they see in these preseason games and they see Wanham making progress, maybe there's only a case to keep him as a backup. That's why it kind of relies on everybody else. Uh, All right. I'm going to go back to you. Um, Talk me into this kicking situation being fine. Oh, it's a hard one. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> this is the challenge. Well, this is why it's a challenge. 
Greg Joseph, um, he last kicked in a game in 2019. Riley Patterson has never kicked in an NFL game because he's a rookie. So experience, experience going to beat out there, even though they both are inexperienced. Riley Patterson just came off the pup list. Maybe he has uh, quite a bit of work to do to catch up, although on Saturday they both were two for two on field goals inside U.S. Bank Stadium. So, I mean, it was kind of good that they got, like, the early look at both of them being like, all right, well, nobody had a meltdown inside the stadium for the first time when they when they were kicking. Um, I had the stats here from, from Saturday's uh, practice. Patterson was – 36 and 30 and 49 yards yep. and Greg Joseph was 35 and 47 so I don't know if Patterson was trying to one up him be like I'll get that extra one or two yards I don't know um <laughs> it is a competition it is a competition all. move me back move me back I think that you know Greg <laughs> Joseph I mean he's he's been with a couple teams um you know, they clearly saw something in him to bring him in. And the fact is they haven't signed a veteran yet. They've had roster spots to do it. And and I w- think they're waiting for a meltdown to happen. Or, you know, it's usually around this time in training camp where the kicking competition starts in earnest, whether they bring a veteran in or they bring a kicking punter specialist looking like a Greek god in. And that ends up not panning out. R.I.P. Kari Vedvik. Um, but... I uh, it's a hard one. I'm just gonna base it on the fact that they haven't brought anybody else in, and they're willing to not jump the gun here if if it's not perfect in preseason games. Okay, that was a try. Yeah, that was a- that was certainly a try. <laughs> No, I, I mean, I've, I've always been the proponent. I, I guess I didn't do the whole tell you what I think they should do at yeah, first. Yeah. I think they should have brought in a kicker by now. Yeah, I think that yeah. you should look at the free agent market. I mean, honestly, like, why not even go bring Dan Bailey back just for camp, just for camp to see what's going right. on? Like Bailey, maybe, I think, was banged up last like, year. He was. He had a back injury, did yeah. he not? Like, I mean, he played through something last year. So... Maybe maybe bring him back to see where his body's at. I I don't like this kicking situation. Like as much as I'm trying to talk you into it, I think it's this seems like the perfect storm where your defense looks good right now. We'll see how they look in preseason games. If the offense can, you know, can hold its weight, it feels like a year where the kicking game will be your Achilles heel and bring down bring you down. So I I think you should have three kickers in camp right now. I think you should have a veteran with multiple years experience whose last game played was not two years ago, and you should judge it off that. I bet we'll see movement. If if Greg Joseph has like a so-so outing against Denver, I bet that they sign somebody next week. I want to remind you to go to sodastick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen it yet, you've got to check it out. A couple of my favorite designs are the Duck Duck Gray Duck and the Randy Moss Goat, which you've got to see. Uh, all their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. We're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. By the way, use promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SOTASTICK, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. So here was maybe your best argument that could have gotten me a little closer to being talked into it. Closer than, hey, they made their practice kicks at U.S. Bank Stadium. 
The Vikings last year made 68.2% of their field goals. Dead last in the league. The best argument for this being okay is that it can't be worse than that. You're already dead last. It can't be worse. It's true. That's the best you could do. Uh, Okay, now back to you. I would like you to talk me into Cam Dantzler and Bashad Breeland rotating that role outside. Mm, okay. Okay. Because right now. Right now it's Breeland with the yeah. ones. Dancers had a couple reps here and there. Remember Breeland came along a little slowly with a shoulder injury. Do you think it's a wrap or do you think that, can you talk me into Dantzler having more of a role than just being somebody who's in like a nickel? Okay. Potentially I, pa- I nickel do packages. Think, I do think it's set based on I do Zimmer's, too, but Zimmer's comments about special teams. But I'll try to talk you into it anyway. Uh, Bashad Breeland is one of the most penalized cornerbacks in the NFL over the last like five years. And what we've seen in camp is exactly why. He is extremely aggressive with the wide receivers, which is good, but it's also not good because he nearly injured Justin Jefferson the other yeah, day. Right. I mean, just slamming guys <laughs> on the ground, off the trying line to of punch scrimmage. the ball out. Yeah. Uh, again, not I good. mean, you have to respect it, but also you're getting penalized quite a bit. I was going to look up where he was. Um, was it, was it, uh, last year? I think he had maybe 13 penalties last year or something like that. God, um, it's like Xavier Rhodes, 2000, circa 2018, 2019. Okay. So Peterson had 12 last year and Breland had eight, but I believe there was one year where Breland had even more than that. And he's, and that was eighth in the entire league. Yeah. So Peterson was first Breland was eighth in the whole league. That's not great. That means you're committing a lot of penalties and this has been a thing. Yeah. Uh, this has been a thing for Breland. He had 13 in 2019. That includes the playoffs and 13 in 2017. So if Breland starts to struggle a little bit with the penalties, which is why his PFF coverage grades and overall grades are not great. He had um, overall not a great year tackling last year in terms of grades. That will drive Mike Zimmer a little crazy. Uh, and if Cameron Dantzler can show something in these preseason games, it's possible that he could be taking steps forward where Breland is kind of staying the same or even regressing based on his age as he approaches 30. Mm-hmm. With corners, they usually come out 21, 22 years old, have five, six years where they're really good. It sort of reminds me of shortstops in baseball where after five or six years the in athleticism the athleticism wears off. You right. Know. You're just not as good. And he was never a freak athlete anyway. Breland, he's like more like a four or five guy. So if he's getting more grabby and if he's struggling with the tackling part like he did a bit with KC last year, then Dantzler better be ready. And with Dantzler, there was reasons to like what you saw last year of like... 50% of the time, 50% of the time was good. Some of it was really good in the and, later portion of the season too. And, right. And 50% was hurt or 50% was, uh, maybe you didn't really play that coverage as tight as you needed to and got called out by your head coach, but usually rookie corners struggle. And so far in camp, I think Dantzler has been fine. He hasn't like jumped way out to me. Mm-hmm. But if he does during these preseason games and these joint practices, then there might be some consideration to you can prove to Zimmer you should at least be in the ball game. And for the long term of this team, which I know they don't care about right now, for the long term, it's better to see more of Cam Dantzler throughout the season or see him at least push Breland. So I don't think that Breland is dead set, completely locked in for life to that spot. You convinced? 
sort of. I'm, I am I feel like, I mean, I agree with you. I think that Bashad Breland did not sign here to not play. Like, right. he's starting week one, and he it's Breland and Peterson who have really gotten all the ones reps. But I feel like you spent a third-round pick on Dantzler. You're not ready to obviously give up, give up on him by any stretch. I mean, he came around at the end of last season. He was, you know, one of the highest-rated rookie corners once we actually saw the body of work get put together in 2020, he's got a lot of growth to do. I do wonder like if a year focused more with the special team stuff and then situationally, like when they're in nickel, I don't know, maybe if they use some dime, this is not a, this is not a defense that uses like six defensive backs all that much, but Hey, they did say they were making tweaks to the scheme. Maybe they do something like that this year. I want to see him on the field with more of the veteran cornerbacks to see kind of like, okay, when the communication is this, he's up to speed because he's got somebody who's played this longer, who sees something that he doesn't see that can help him see it when it's like live action. And then he can apply that. Like I would like to see things like that happen to where you can truly tell a year from now, okay, this guy is going to pan out to be something like it was a good pick right now. All we have to go off of is the, I guess the basis of what it was last year and being like, well, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. Obviously better than what Jeff Gladney's first year. Um, And I think, you know, he, no rookie corner did great last year. Like, let's be honest. Like none, like none of them were like super amazing because Mm of the nature of the position, learning it over zoom, what have you. But I, um, I could be talked into some of that. I think that the penalties with Breland and just the way that he plays guys, I mean, we're seeing it in camp right now. Um, there's been some days where I'm like, yikes, like, he's, I, I don't know if he's trying to prove a point. I don't know what he's trying to do. I don't know if coaches are going to be like, let's like pump the brakes here a little bit. And like, I think seeing him in the preseason game will tell me like, is he playing too aggressively? Are they going to try to like pull him back from that a little bit? Cause they know that referees are going to be watching just, you know, how he covers guys and they're going to not be afraid to f- throw the flag. So, um, but yeah, I, I can, I could see myself with some of that. Okay. What would you like me to talk you uh, into? I'm going to ramp this up. Okay. Okay. And then you got to step your game up after this one because this is a bombshell for you. Talk me into trading Kirk Cousins Oof. to Denver for Teddy Bridgewater this week while Denver's in town. Holy cow. Talk um, me into that. Well, for starters, um, they have an issue here with COVID. Uh, clearly, a lot of the locker room, as it stands right now, is not vaccinated. Um, Kirk is not the only one, but he's the one getting the fall for a lot of it because he's the most visible player in terms of, you know, position importance and somebody who's out there and been very vocal about, you know, it's a private decision, what have you. So I think the Vikings could look at this and be like, he's already got a massive cap hit next year. It's 45 million. If they're willing to take on some of the financial responsibility for what's left of cousins or restructure, I mean, or or extend, he would, they would have to extend cousins if Denver would, Denver would. Yeah. And it's just like, he's somebody who likes short-term extent, short-term deals. So that's probably, honestly, that's probably something that could feed into, you know, cousins, Agreeing to it. I mean, granted, there is not a no trade clause anymore. Like, remember, that's gone in this contract. So they can do it without his approval. Um, You know, there is, you know, he would be on, I'm looking at the cap right now. Um, He would, you know, he's got 21 guaranteed this year. Uh, He's making 31. So, you know, there'd be some money, I believe, with the trade that you'd have to take on this year. But I think it'd be worth it if you're ready to, 
if, if you just don't think this is going to work out anymore, a if you're if you're if you're that concerned that the vaccine stuff and that he could wind up back again on the COVID list and you don't want to roll the dice with that, um, that would be the number one reason I think. And also, you know, Zimmer knows Teddy. Teddy is kind of the safety valve, and when you have the defense at the level that Zimmer believes it's going to be, closer to when Bridgewater played here and then closer to what it looked like you know, when they were really good and they didn't have to be as aggressive offensively. I know that he said that he liked how explosive they were, um, you know, but 11th in points, 4th in yards. If, if that's enough for you, Mike Zimmer, if you don't think they need to up the ante there, then you go and say, okay, well, they can, we can get it done with Teddy Bridgewater because we know he'll play conservatively on offense. We still have all these questions on the offensive line. We know that you know we're, we're more comfortable putting a Teddy behind there because of his athletic, some of the athleticism, some of the stuff that he does that Kirk doesn't do, um, that it would work out that way. Now, this is obviously a tough sell because of the finances that are tied to this because Denver, you know, the Vikings are on the hook next year with the $45 million cap hit. So if you're Denver, you're looking at your own finances saying, okay, immediately we get him in here, we sign him to a three-year extension, and, you know, you, you, you say goodbye to the prospect of potentially getting Aaron Rodgers next year, right? Because wasn't Denver one of the first teams that was right. yeah. rumored to want him so right. badly? Um, and if it's anybody's game next year, if he's let out of his contract effectively in Green Bay – you have to think about your long-term plans if you're George Payton being like, man, I just got here and I'm cementing myself to Kirk Cousins. you got to really think that what you have around him will be okay in effectively doing this in the short term. Um, how I did am, I do? I am talked into this deal. Here's why. The talent difference between Kirk Cousins and Teddy Bridgewater, there is one. But how much value does it have to have your head coach – with any relationship whatsoever with your quarterback. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and, and like, right? theirs is clearly, I know that they both said they had a good conversation last week after Kirk came off the reserve list. It feels fractured. It is fractured. If your if your head coach is calling out the quarterback room for putting the team in a really tough spot with the COVID-19 reserve list and putting you down to one quarterback for a couple days, you're, that that's to me is is already a big mark on on you as a as for what you stand. If you're not going to get vaccinated, and you're going to put this team at risk every week. You're going to be rolling the dice, right? And that's part of why I would be talked into it. And the other part would be that Teddy Bridgewater plays football exactly the, the way, way Mike Zimmer, Zimmer wants. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so he can rely on his defense the way that I lay it out, where it's like they take you know they. This would be a perfect team for Teddy because of what they've done defensively and what you're going to ask your defense to do. Also, do we know, is Teddy Bridgewater vaccinated? I would assume so. I mean, it's Teddy, right? Like, come on. I think Zim could just talk. If he's not, Zim I, could talk him into it. I would be I would be really stunned if he wasn't. I just just the way, the way Teddy is. I, I think that he is. So let me give you a crazy stat. Last year, Carolina produced points on a higher percentage of their drives than the Vikings. And this is like a classic Teddy thing where – a lot of red zone there were a lot of red zone struggles with Carolina last year and Teddy kind of called out Joe Brady for that a little bit. Yeah, in, he did because they don't interview. practice red zone apparently on Thursdays right. or Fridays. But they had a lot of drives end in points last year and they were able to move the ball effectively and just had a really bad, really, really bad defense. Carolina did. But Teddy has looked like at least he is a sort of Case Keenum-ish type of quarterback that he's going to be. So if you ran the ball, gave him great wide receivers, an offensive scheme that makes 
the the quarterback better we saw jake browning throwing to open crossing routes the other day like what's your difference in wins if teddy plays 17 games or Mm -hmm. if kirk plays 14 games because he spends three on the COVID list like there that's the other thing too is it's easy to move on from teddy uh if you just have like a seven and ten season and if you have a 10 and 7, seven season with Kirk, it's harder to move on from him because you have to try to find a trade partner. Or if you have a bad season with him where he won't get vaccinated, it's harder to find a trade partner, especially if he has another poor season or something, right? Or if he has his first like straight up poor season since 2017, it makes it even harder. So like this is under the realm of, yeah, I mean, it'd be totally stunning if something like this happened, but can you be talked into it? Especially since the head coach is just not getting along with the quarterback. Sure. The only way you can not talk me into it being at least plausible or why not plausible, but like reasonable Mm -hmm. is if you believe Kirk has a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl, And I'm not sure that there's a great case for that, but we'll see maybe later in the game. Uh, you give me you give me one more, okay. and then I may have just tipped my hand to the last question for you. Talk me into Christian Derisaw starting at left tackle week one. Oh, okay, okay. Um, look, Rashad Hill. Rashad. Rashad. Come on, Rashad. Number 69. What can we say about Rashad? He's number 69. He is one of the nicest people that I've ever covered in my entire career. He is the one guy who seems to not realize he's an NFL player, like with the way he acts when you talk with him uh, or when you're around him. He is universally loved and appreciated by, I mean, top to bottom in the organization. Like, who's the most likable person? Like, top five, Rashad Hill is there, right? In this whole organization. Yeah. Sure. However, we're talking about a backup tackle, a swing tackle. And it's a great career. Our buddy Jeremiah Searles had that career. He is not a franchise left tackle. His talent level is not of what Christian Derrissaw's is. And if Derrissaw can get back into the 11-on-11s within this week and practice against the Broncos and quickly show that he is a physical specimen, which I believe him to be, and go into these preseason games and shut down whoever he's going up against game after game in all three of these preseason games at 100%, come out of it 100%, then then you just start them. And you say, look, I know that you got off to a rusty start. But last year they did this with Justin Jefferson where it was like, oh, you know, he's, the, he's a little behind and doesn't know the playbook enough. Yeah, but he wasn't injured. Uh, no, he was he wasn't not dealing injured. with a surgery and he didn't really you but know, the whole have the rookie, conditioning issues yeah, too. The rookie from behind thing. Well, he did miss a couple of days with the COVID list, I think, for Jefferson. So Different than uh, what Christian Derrissaw is dealing with. For but. sure, for sure. And I see you're not entirely talked into this, but I'm trying because I'm not talked into this either. <laughs> we but, were like talking ourselves like off of a ledge right but, now. Uh, but I'm trying <laughs> because, because this is, um, if he doesn't practice this week, then I can't talk you into it. I need him to be practicing this week. But the talent levels are so different. As hard as Rashad Hill works, it's like I could work my entire life trying to dunk, but I won't be Vince Carter because I just don't have the talent. And Rashad Hill works crazy hard, but he's not Christian Derrissaw in terms of talent. And that's what they usually go with. If they're saying we're going to go with the best five, then he has to be more talented than Rashad Hill. That's the best argument I can make for you. I appreciate the effort, and I know that you don't agree with a single thing you said, <laughs> except for the fact that Rashad is a very yeah. quality yeah, backup. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and I don't think he's going to start. I agree with all the other things. Like, and 
I mean, if we're talking today, Monday, August 9th, uh, Rashad is your left tackle for at least like the first two games, maybe the first quarter of the season. But I have a hard time believing that Christian Darisaw is going to be anywhere near ready. Like he hasn't even taken live reps yet, let alone, I mean, who cares what team he's playing with, which unit? I mean, it's the second team right now. But the guy's not even really doing anything in the pads that he's wearing. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a very steep uphill climb for him to even get his way back into the mix. I mean, he's got to play first, right? Like, and these groin things, if what Mike Zimmer's saying, you know, one step forward, two steps back, it sounds like you can retweak it. Like, you know, if you move the wrong way, if you, and if you're in practice and you get you're sore and something happens that it could set you back even further. So I'm not confident at all that this could even be a scenario, but I do appreciate um, the effort. The effort. Yes. Okay. So I want you to ask me one more so I can ask you the final one, which is the, you're the, trying the to make my head explode here. Yeah, I, will. I can tell. So um, give, give me a silly one and then uh, we can end okay. on the most important talk me into talk me into the Vikings keeping four tight ends between <laughs> Irv Smith Tyler Conklin Zach Davidson yeah. and Brandon Dillon or Shane Zilstra or Shane Zilstra Zilstra's done more than Dillon where where has Brandon Dillon been where has Zach Davidson my Mr. Mankato pick I been? know he's got preseason games to go he had a couple good catches in camp like I mean I've, I've noticed him he just hasn't done a lot four tight ends um okay so their receiver group is just not really impressive. And you were trying to get talk me into Chad Beebe as wide receiver three. I was. Three. I was. I was coerced by the game to or do so. I was so. trying to talk you into that. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were trying to talk me into it, and you were coerced by the game. Uh, I, I would just say that you have two tight ends that you're going to use a lot. Yeah. You are so reliant on them that if one of them gets hurt, Tyler Conklin got banged up for a day, and all of a sudden Brandon Dillon's playing a lot. And if two of them get banged up in a situation where you have uh, a very physical position, you're going over the middle a lot, you're Mm -hmm. blocking a lot in this offense, even as tight end number two. We saw last year when Irv Smith got hurt that Tyler Conklin stepped in in the same when Kyle Rudolph got hurt and Conklin is very capable. But who's that guy this year? Brandon Dillon is not of the level of Conklin or Irv Smith. I think you have to have at least players who know what they're doing to be able to step into that role. So you're not signing a Cole Hicatini off of, or a uh, Blake, Blake, Brett, Brett, what was his name? Brett, Blake, Bretton. Come on, Blake Bell. Blake Bell. Was. Yeah, Blake he was Bell. the one from San Francisco. So was Cole Hicatini. Yeah, they both were. Yeah, man. So like you're not signing a Blake Bell off of the street and bringing him in. And being like, okay, now you actually have to do stuff as a free agent off the street tight end. So maybe better, even if Shane Zilstra or Zach Davidson is not actually ready to play right now, that they're an option as tight end number four. But I feel like of all the in the weedsy things you could have asked, talk me into four tight ends is the most. How did I do? I can see it. I, I would buy the argument. I think that the depth factor like there, well. if you go, and I mean, this is just like, as I like tweak my 53 uh, that I've had like for the last couple weeks and thinking, cause I initially going into camp, I thought they were going to go heavy at tight end, lighter at receiver. I do think that after seeing what some of the receivers are capable of with the special teams element thrown in, 
that would want me that would lead me to go five or potentially six. I'm not going seven receivers this year. I just don't see it. I think you go because just the offense isn't predicated on that. You don't you don't use them unless you're using them for special teams. And I think you could probably get some of that from your tight end group. So I would I would buy that from like the depth perspective and you know, they do use them from time to time. And, and I anticipate Smith being in, in Conklin. There are going to be a lot of two tight end sets. Oh, yeah. So never hurts to have another one or two. Hey, everyone. Summer is here and you're trying to get out on the golf course. But if you're like us here at Purple Insiders, spending all day golfing isn't always an option. That's why you need to check out Birdie Golf in Woodbury. I'll give you an example. My wife is new to golf and she's intimidated by the big courses, but at Birdie Golf, she could come and play without the pressure. You can make golf a family experience at Birdie Golf. Bring the kids, still get all of your swings in. They have eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and still have a great time. I've heard from several listeners to the show who have tried out Birdie Golf and absolutely loved it. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights. And every time Sam and I show up at Birdie Golf to record our podcast, we always get the boneless wings. Make golf a night out. It's the perfect place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, and even your fantasy football draft. Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive away from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro at birdiegolf.com, B-I-R-D-I golf.com. Call 651-998-2200 today, and I'll see you there. There you go. So you are t- officially talked into that one. Mm-hmm. Now you have to talk me into okay. the Minnesota Vikings playing in the Super Bowl. Oh, gosh. Um, all right. Well, they spent oodles of money on this defense. And if Mike Zimmer, and I've seen um, you know, several, I, I've honestly kind of been surprised. Like the Athletic the other day. Uh, came out with an article ranking defenses one to thirty-two, and they put the Vikings at number one in the Shield Copedia. So, like, I mean, he he's a very good writer. I respect his work, and so I read it, and I kind of actually was trying to talk myself into believing that they would be number one, the number one defense in the NFL. So, after getting through that, like, I thought about it, and it made me think: okay, if they could be even like you know, 50, 60% better than what they were last year. Like just from the standpoint of injuries, from the standpoint of talent, I think that the personnel that they have, the scheme changes that we anticipate, or at least we've seen so far of, you know, adapting to what offenses are going to do uh, based on, you know, the changes that we expect every single year and that you have veterans who are capable more than just capable, like veterans who actually know what they're doing. I think that you'll be in a good spot defensively. Now, the rest of the NFC is what I think you can I can sell you on. The Saints are not going to be as good this year. In your division, all you're worried about is the Packers. You're not buying the fact that the Bears are going to be anything that you have to contend with. You're only worried about Green Bay. And you also see Green Bay as a potential issue because, yeah, it's been quiet the last couple weeks, but you think you can win the division because of – the fact is, yeah, they have Rodgers back, but like, did they really upgrade all that much around him? Right. I don't know. Probably not, at least in the sense of this argument. So you're thinking, hey, I can win the division. We have a capable, uh, you know, capable offense, an amazing defense, and Greg Joseph 
is the kicker of the future because we didn't need to sign a veteran. We didn't need to bring one in because he was so damn good yeah. in these preseason games yes. um, that Riley Patterson didn't even need to come off the pup list to begin with. So it was just kind of like, it's perfect. It's a perfect storm. Special teams are not awful here anymore. The offense is good enough, and defense is going to win you championships and games. So as you go through the rest of the NFC – you're not worried about Dallas because they're a facade every single year, and they're on hard knocks, so they've already cursed themselves. Right. You're not really worried about anybody else in the NFC East. You're not really worried about anybody else in your, you know, in the NFC South. I mean, Tampa Bay, sure, but nobody else. Not Carolina, not the Falcons, not the Saints. I'm worried about the NFC West. I'm worried about yep. the Rams. I think that they are going to be really, really good this year. Yep. And I'm also worried about Seattle and Arizona and um, San Francisco. So if I think that I can be a top five, maybe top six team, but definitely top five team in the NFC, I think that I have a chance to get to the NFC championship. And let's say that, you know, lightning doesn't, hasn't struck twice with teams being able to repeat in Super Bowl in a long time. So I'm not I'm taking Tampa Bay out of the mix. So let's say it's like me and the Rams or something in the NFC Championship game this year, me as the Vikings. Um Mike Zimmer is, you know, beaten Sean McVay before. You know, old school guy, new school guru. And the last time that these two teams faced off was 2018, Kirk Cousins revenge game. Um He's going to have Christian Derrissaw at his <laughs> left tackle, and Christian Derrissaw will be able to hold his block against Michael Brockers and won't worry you, about Kirk fumbling on that final drive. You ever heard of, um, like, uh, protesting too much? Like, you're, you're starting to reach the point where you're like, <laughs> and the left tackle will be fine? <laughs> I'm trying to sell you on everything okay. coming together perfectly. Okay, and then they'll, me, they'll just, beat the Rams and they'll I'll, go to Super Bowl. I'll just stop you there because you've, you've gone a long way to, to try to do this, and the effort is what counts on the show. And I think you've done a good job. Thank of you. It. Thank because you. Because at the crux of the thing is there's only like two great teams in the NFC. And if either one of them falters, you could be in the NFC championship if you have a great year. And the one thing I would tack on to the argument, if, if it's being made, is just you would have to say you have several weeks to get this bleep together between the head coach and the quarterback. And if you do, if you find a way to – Bond everyone together. Mike Zimmer's first impression of this team when he walked out on the practice field for the first day was this team is very good. Mm -hmm. And since then, everything has been, you know, hitting the fan. Yeah. But if you can find a way to rally around this, you have a chance to be a very good team. I think that that's it's very good. Going to win you a Super Bowl. I didn't even try to like find out who they were or come up with a scenario of who they're going to play from the yeah. AFC. I didn't but. even say. I think I said reach, reach the Super Bowl, and then you know whatever that would be fun enough. Uh, so you you did a great job. Thank you. And you put in 110 percent into that. I didn't argument. sell you though. I didn't sell myself. I was struggling there at the very end. I will have to be sold throughout the season, is what I would say. That so so there's you, a chance made, that we could come back to this and yes. that I could sell you again. Yes. Well, look. Uh, there was another time in 2017 where I remember us having like a similar conversation about after they had beaten the Rams, like, yeah. are we sold on this team yet? And I think you were a little skeptical. I was more sold on where they were, but it's, it's a conversation that they have to force you to have. Mm -hmm. And so having it right now does sound a little like, wow, we're so far away from that. But I think that you made the right points, which is just look at the NFC even though, even though everything feels bad right now, just look at the NFC. 
And um, I think that's the right point to make. So you did a great job in this game. Thank you. And I think this is a fun game. We should play this more often. I know. Talk me into stuff. We could just do like mini versions of talk me into um, from time to time. So I hope you enjoyed that. We got to go out to practice. But um, I was glad to lighten it up a little bit here after I felt like things were getting a little heavy, a little tense. Yep. So thank you, Courtney, for your time. We will do it again soon.